So today on IoT Innovation, we've been talking about how we build all these things. Now we have to actually make something. We're now going to consider how the maker movement and manufacturing is impacting IoT. This episode of IoT Innovation is sponsored by Anritsu. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Welcome back to IoT Innovation. Uh, today, my guest is Rob Bodor from Proto Labs. And Rob is a VP and general manager of Proto Labs for the Americas. And what we'd like to talk about today is understanding a little bit more about ProtoLab's business, the activity that they are starting to see in the IoT industry, and, and also generally uh, manufacturing, and maybe some of the read across. So Rob, maybe welcome first of all, and maybe let's start with a little bit more of an explanation of uh, your business and your company and, and how you operate around the world. Sure, thanks. I uh, appreciate that, Chris. So. Um, Protolabs is a contract manufacturer, and uh, we make parts in either metal or plastic through a variety of different manufacturing processes, including injection molding, um, CNC machining, and additive manufacturing or, or 3D printing. Uh, and we do that across a range of materials in, in metal and plastic. Uh, we also specialize in being very fast, so we can make parts including injection molded parts in as little as one business day uh, from the time that we get uh, the design from the customer. Um, and so basically Protolabs as a contract manufacturer, what's unique about us is that we've automated the front end of the manufacturing process with software. And that's allowed us to be low cost of entry as well as uh, very fast. And so um, as a result, we can do quantity one uh, in as little as one day across this broad range of manufacturing processes. Uh, the other piece that I just want to highlight is that uh, we are entirely web-enabled, so the customer works with us over the web, sends us their CAD file, and um, from that we're able to manufacture the part and ship them the part um, directly. Okay, so so that's great. So I've I've watched uh, Proto Labs business over quite a few years now, and I mean it's it's been evolving. As I mentioned, you're you're uh, worldwide. You've got locations all over the place. You know, I grew up in manufacturing, so I'm very familiar with CNC machining, with injection molding, particularly plastics and silicon rubber. Um, sure. When I started playing with with stereolithography, you know, it was a quarter of a million dollar investment. Uh, it took up a large room. And it was it was a very big deal and a big scale and commitment. You know, these days you're talking about a Kickstarter option for 300 bucks, which I've got at home, and um, it creates a lot of nice molten uh, modern art. Uh, some of which <laughs> some of which is really great. And, and I, I hasten to add that's that's the fault of the um, of the user and the programmer, not the machine. But but it changed the barrier to entry, and it changed the way I started to think about manufacturing. Uh, and I think for IoT, that's kind of important. Um, you know, are you starting to see a change in not just the uh, type of company and customer, but the type of things they're using it for? Yeah, so uh, absolutely we are. And, um, you know, we serve uh, customers across all industries, um, medical, aerospace, automotive, industrial products, um, consumer products, electronics. Um, and we also serve customers 
range in size from a lot of entrepreneurs, individuals working out of their home, all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. And across the board, um, we're seeing that people are starting to use these technologies in, in different ways. And I think that there's a there's a number of, of mega trends that are kind of supporting that. Um, in addition to uh, access to this technology coming down in, in cost, um, there are other drivers that are that are forcing some of that. Right, we're seeing um, more more uh, local manufacturing taking place. We're right. seeing you know, and and the Internet of Things I think drives a lot of shortening product uh, times, product lifetimes, because uh, now all of a sudden the uh, the lifetime of the electronic component of the product tends to drive the useful life of the product. Yeah, it's kind of driving a built-in obsolescence, right? Right, right. Well, you know, my, you know, I, my analog watch, um, you know, I've had for 10 years and, and I'll probably have for 10 more. Um, but if that's a, if that's a smart watch, I, I doubt I'll keep that for 20 years, right? It'll probably be obsolete in two. Um, and so, um, that's driven, I think, you know, more customization um, in, 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 many, in many industries, lower quantities per SKU because of greater SKU proliferation to create that customization. And, um, and, and, and with those shortened product lifetimes, uh, it's, it's forced a, a greater um, pressure around innovation and around um, kind of moving quickly and also getting products to market quickly. That's always been important, but I think we're seeing an even greater uh, presence in that. Um, and you, have to, you asked about kind of the regional variations with that. I, I, think, I think those things are true. Um, I mean, we're seeing those same megatrends in every region where we operate. Right. Uh, as you mentioned, we operate in uh, the U.S. and in Europe and in Japan. Um, what does vary is how, to what extent those different trends impact each industry, uh, and so we are seeing some regional variability in that because, you know, in some of our regions, certain industries are bigger. For example, uh, automotive is uh, is bigger for us in Europe, and electronics is bigger in Japan. So, so as you're comparing your your business around the world, are you starting to see, as I'd imagine you would, the crossover between uh, not just um, manufacturing choices but also design trends that you're starting to see spill over into IoT because you know what, what we've seen and what we've been exploring over the last few weeks in these programs is the fact that IoT really does mean the internet of everything, which was the expression that, that uh, Cisco coined. But truthfully, right. that, that, makes, that makes for a hell of a mess in the industry because now everybody has to understand enough about wireless and enough about wirelessly connected devices um, to, to have that as a component of their business. Um, surely this, this means that you must have a, a big, big um, uh, education aspect on your hands now as you're starting to talk to some of these companies. Yeah, I, we certainly can. And I think one of the challenges with, uh, with IoT kinds of devices is that they really are very broad, right? Uh, they're they're multidisciplinary, they're cross-functional, they have um, you know, they're, they're complex products, right, that, that merge many disciplines. And so um, you've got uh, people that used to be designing uh, circuits who are now, you know, having to do more uh, physical product manufacturing. 
uh, and vice versa. Uh, and so th there is education that's necessary as part of that. And uh, that's actually a place where I think ProtoLabs uh, does very well because um, we are, um, first of all, we're easy to find. Um, you know, the manufacturing landscape, I think, can be difficult to navigate. Right. And particularly, I mean, I think that's true even for, you know, um, larger companies, but I think it's particularly true for, for smaller companies, um, startups, and, and individuals. Um, you know, we're, we're very easy to find. We work entirely online. Uh, and in addition, the way we offer our quotes is um, through, through the Internet and through uh, an interactive interface on the Internet. So um, basically, when I talked earlier about how we automated uh, the front end of the manufacturing process, what that means is that we, um, when we get a 3D CAD file uh, from a customer, uh, we actually apply software algorithms to that and um, essentially we, we calculate everything that we're going to have to do to manufacture that part uh, before we even quote that to them. Mm -hmm. And we turn our quotes around in a matter of minutes to uh, a matter of a few hours. Um, but that's all calculated on a large kind of parallel computing cluster. Um, and so we actually virtually manufacture the part before we quote it to the customer. So, so I and, imagine that that dramatically improves your quote accuracy as well as uh, contributes right. to your turnaround. Right. So it, it, that allows us to, exactly. So that allows us to ensure that the quote is right. And, and it's not a budgetary quote or a rough estimate. That's a commitment, uh, that quote that comes back. But more than that, because we were able to virtually manufacture the part, um, we actually calculate like the what's called the G code, which is basically the, the milling instructions that would be necessary to make that part if, if we were to mill it. Um, and, and so uh, we not only are accurate, but we can actually create a 3D rendering uh, of the finished part. And, and in fact, we do. We do this online with every quote we send for free. So you can see a 3D rendering of your finished part, and we can then compare that to the source CAD file. And if there are any places where there's a difference because of the manufacturability of your design, right. we can highlight that for you. And so in a custom way, and we do thousands of these a day, um, we can provide the engineer uh, who's working uh, with us uh, to develop their prototype or, or, their, or their finished part, um, that kind of design feedback so that even if it's a manufacturing process that's new to them, and we support about nine manufacturing processes. We support multiple molding processes, both in plastics, thermoplastics. Uh, you mentioned liquid silicone rubber. We support that. Mm -hmm. uh, we also uh, mold metals, uh, stainless steel, stainless steel, and um, magnesium today. Uh, so and is, then that, we also is, that, that, is that molding as well as things like sintering, or is that um, how are you... What are those processes? Yeah, so what I just described was just in molding, but absolutely. So we can make metals, we can mold metals, okay. we can machine metals, and we can sinter metals. Okay. And so, for example, if you, um, stainless steel, uh, we do in all three of those processes. So um, you might be starting to prototype a part that we would do through a 3D printing by, by a, a DMLS or a sintering process, uh, and then... <clears throat> As you move from that to higher volume, you might want to machine that part, um, you know, because you're doing hundreds. 
and then you might move to a molding process because you want to do thousands or tens of thousands or, or more. And, and we can, um, across most plastic families and, and most metals, uh, we can actually do that across all three of those service offerings. Uh, and that allows us to um, kind of grow with the, the product or, or the, you know, as it scales. Um, but it also lets us be a little bit agnostic to uh, what the manufacturing process is because, of course, you know, each process has some different uh, nuances and some different design constraints. They're better for some, you know, certain, a certain part is, you know, maybe lends itself to, uh, to one process versus another. And so uh, we can actually be consultative with the, with the customer and explain to them those trade-offs uh, so that they can pick the process that's right for them for the, for the needs they have. Well, so, so what's great, I, I like that a lot. I mean, one of the challenges is, is smaller companies don't have the teams or the expertise or the, maybe their own manufacturing engineering group that will help them figure out that type of transition. And one of the things I've seen with IoT is that, you know, many, many of the smaller companies or, or many companies that have not been involved in these processes, they, they get a big surprise when they go from a rapid prototype of some description through to yeah. manufacturing. And, and unfortunately, that's the costly bit because when you're talking hardware, physical hardware, yeah. then you start talking about physically very expensive tooling. And yeah. uh, if you make the wrong decision at that stage, it's it's a very time and cost um, uh, sensitive issue. So you know, help yeah. companies like that. I think is that's a big deal. Yeah, there's two things that we do to to help help in in that specific area. One is. Um, I mentioned trying to be low cost of entry. So our molds start at $1,500. Right. Um, which is, you know, much, much lower than, you know, most tools are 30, 50, 60, $100,000. Absolutely. Because we've automated all of the kind of the front end of the manufacturing process. So the, um, the non-recurring engineering expense that normally exists in the setup, the design of the mold, or all, all of those aspects, we've essentially taken out. Mm -hmm. And because we're able to act quickly, um, we can be low cost of entry so that you can, you can, you know, you can try your design in a mold um, quite inexpensively uh, relative to any other uh, molding uh, option. But in addition, because we can do that design for manufacturability, uh, for the 3D printed part, or for the machine part, or for the molded part, and we can do those kind of simultaneously um, at, 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 at a high level of scale. Um, when we talk to the customer, um, we can understand from them, well, uh, you know, where they are today in their process and where they ultimately want to go. And uh, if they ultimately, if the economics of their production are going to drive them to do molding, even though they might today be just asking us for, let's say, a 3D printed plastic part because they're in a prototyping stage. Um, as you pointed out, the, uh, you know, the, the design constraints are different by manufacturing process. Right. And sometimes people get into trouble with this because, you know, what you love about 3D printing is that you can more or less make anything. Uh, and that's true. Uh, however, you can't make anything that's molded, right? Right. Um, and if you don't factor in the constraints of molding when you're prototyping, uh, even if you're prototyping in some other process that's only a proxy of what your final 
part is going to be made in, uh, then you can get caught. So, you, you know, you take this prototype that worked as a prototype in the different process that you used to prototype it, uh, and then when you want to actually go to manufacturing, you get this aha that I can't scale up with the design that I had. And so right. the way we address that is that we'll actually quote in all three of the services so they get the design for manufacturability feedback. And then even when, uh, even if they just want to start with a, a 3D printed part, which we're happy to do, um, we'll design, you know, the, the design for the part anticipates the, the DFM or the manufacturability of the molded part. Right. And so, so then that, that prototype will be a much better proxy of the finished, you know, final higher volume part than would otherwise be the case. Okay, that, that, that's great. I mean, that, that takes a big chunk out of the front end of, of a lot of these experimentation projects because, as I said earlier, one of the challenges that I'm seeing around the industry is a lot of people are deciding to build a, a hardware device, uh, a wireless device, in order to contribute to the IoT landscape when they really don't have the starting point or the team in-house to do that. Um, so, so maybe changing tacks a little bit. One of the things, so, so we were sitting at dinner the other night and uh, one of my daughters raised the fact that in, uh, in, in one of her classes, she'd been talking with a teacher about 3D printing. And this was a topic because we've now got this, this bright orange box that sits on our uh, cabinet that's making, making things uh, well sometimes if I've got the settings correctly. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I bought that deliberately to make them aware of this and think about manufacturing in the same way that, that we thought about uh, printing when the first sure. um, inkjet and laser printers started showing up in the home. One of the comments sure. made was regarding localized manufacturing. So, yep. so they were highlighting a comment that their teacher had made about things like being able to print prosthetic limbs in certain countries, developing countries, that really wouldn't have the ability to customize and personalize these these uh, um, th these tools for, for people in that way if, if it wasn't done locally. I'm, I'm starting to hear some of this regarding things like aerospace spare parts, um, but what are you, what are you seeing in, in the customers you're talking to regarding the localization of, uh, of, of not just prototypes, but production? And what do you yeah. think is going to do to the whole manufacturing landscape and the kind of the power shift that we're starting to see at the moment with, with the uh, Chinese economy, for example? Um, so I think that what you describe is very real. I mean, you talked about it at a few different levels, right? The, the home um, 3D printer versus the industrial applications of, of that same technology for uh, both prototyping and production. I think... Um, you know, the home home user is a is a different uh, is a different market and a different application. But I think, uh, in terms of the industrial users, um, I think that's real, and I think it's it's absolutely on its way that we are seeing more localization um, and uh, the use of all of these technologies, 3D printing as well as traditional manufacturing processes. You know, like the others that I've described, uh, that are um, being done more locally because the, you know, the the, the cost benefits um, of uh, of going overseas, right, are becoming less and less. But for the some of the reasons that I talked about, where, you know, we're seeing more customization, uh, generally lower uh, runs of, of products, and so the economies 
you know, the economies of scale uh, are a little bit less crucial and the ability to be flexible um, and, and iterate your designs is becoming, uh, you know, more important. Yes. And so having the production then done closer to where the design and the uh, prototyping and the research is happening is becoming more important, right? Because you think about the old model, it's um, we do the research and we do the design and then we lock everything in and then we wait three, four months for the yeah. tooling to be made overseas. Exactly. And then we you cross your fingers until they're numb. Right. And then, you know, we exactly. And then you hope everything works and then you produce the parts and then you put them on a ship and you wait six weeks for them to come back to you. And right. so we're talking about months and months, a half a year, right, can, can easily go by in that process. And, um, and, and what that means is that from the time you, you completed the design, let alone started the design, but, but finalized the design to the time you have really first parts in hand, um, you know, can be four to six months. Uh, and and that, that only works in an, an environment where you're getting tremendous economies of scale from all of that. Um, and furthermore, that uh, nothing is changing in the marketplace in the meantime. So in other words, in that six-month period, uh, the design that's six months old is just as good, uh, you know, as, as what it would be if you were to design it today. And I think that's becoming less and less true all over the place. Right. And so, um, you know, one of the one and one of the ways that we're seeing that is when we started. I mean, so the company's name is Proto Labs. Um, so prototyping is literally, um, you know, part of our DNA. It's in our name. Um, and when we started, that's really where customers were using us. They were using us for prototyping. Uh, and then over time, they, they, that expanded to prototyping and, let's say, bridge tooling uh, to address this kind of this issue, starting to get um, parts, um, you know, from us. But again, locking in the design, but at least getting to market with parts that we could produce for them quickly while they waited for the production tool to be ready uh, so that it that that cut their time to market. But now we're starting to see them use us in very different ways, uh, use us as a on-demand manufacturer mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, they don't have to store inventory um, and and just use us as the, as the demand comes in. Um, and also in other applications like, you know, end of life, which are coming more and more often and, and faster nowadays. Um, and so, you know, as, as these, uh, I think these underlying, you know, forces have caused this change, uh, we're seeing people, you know, want to, want to engage with manufacturing in different ways than they used to. Um, and, and a big part of that is, is about bringing the manufacturing to be, you know, more, more integral with, uh, design, uh, so that they can, they can, you know, uh, pivot quickly as, as needed. You know, another, another example is, you know, customers will use us um, to do iterative prototyping uh, in ways that, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, you know, the company is about 16 years old. And so, you know, we've, we've seen this as, as technology has, has been uh, transforming manufacturing. You know, we've had the advantage of being able to kind of see different faces of that. And that's, that's been one of them where, um, you know, customers will, will use us to uh, iterate on designs. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll make a prototype, they'll make a few hundred parts, they'll test that in the market, then they might adjust the design even after very low volumes were made 
you know, and, and try and tune in uh, to better suit the needs of the customer. Or, you know, we'll have customers that might, um, like in the medical device space, um, you know, because they have to go up uh, for these uh, regulatory reviews, and so they want to make sure they have the best product design for a surgical device, say. Um, and those would be situations where, you know, they might make eight molds, eight, eight molded parts, all of essentially the same for the same end product, and, and their intention is to pick the best design right. and take that forward. Um, and so they'll make, you know, eight molds simultaneously, and in 10 days they're going to want 200 parts off of each mold so that they can do functional testing and, and pick the winner. Um, so there's a, I think there's a lot of experimentation that's going on right now, and um, that, you know the old model of of having the manufacturing be done halfway across the world uh, doesn't isn't really well suited for for that kind of experimentation. No, I, I agree. I mean, we're seeing with IoT, it's changing as we've as we've seen with a lot of IoT in terms of devices, in terms of applications, uh, uh, data analytics, and use cases. And even business models. I mean, it's just changing the, the whole environment. And uh, I, I think that the manufacturing of hardware is definitely a, a huge piece of that, because the old design cycle of everything in, in uh, uh, you know, the Western world was developed and re getting ready to launch in Q4. It used to be typ typically consumer electronics was announced in Q1 at all the big shows, and then there'd sure. be six months of everyone getting ready after these prototypes had already been visible. You know that model does not work anymore because uh, you know it, it's too. Easy. Well, first of all, there isn't the Q4 bubble that there used to be, uh, not as large at least. But also, if you announce something in January and then you don't start shipping it till November, there's five other devices out there that are almost identical before you ship. So exactly. I, I think that's that's changing the, the, the model. So so um, so maybe to leave it there, Rob. If you've got any final thoughts on IoT and what are your predictions, maybe for a couple of seconds, and and uh, what are you what are you interested in personally in IoT? Um, well, uh, so what I love about uh, IoT, I touched on this a little bit before, but it's truly um, the interdisciplinary nature of it, and I, I, I'm really excited about what that's going to bring because I, I think. Um, a lot of innovation, if we look back in history, a lot of innovation is driven in these areas where uh, different fields come together and Agreed. collaborate, right? People are bringing different, um, different, you know, uh, thought um, together, and uh, those are always very fruitful for, uh, for innovation. And so um, I expect us to see this uh, really take off and, um, you know, the, the whole meaning of what it, what computing is to change and how we interact with devices and, and, and uh, in every aspect of life uh, to change and so I, I think it's a it's a very exciting time to be uh, to be in manufacturing and, and engineering that concludes IOT innovation for this week I'd like to thank Rob Bador from proto labs for joining me and look forward to joining you in future weeks Please let me know if there's any additional guests or speakers that you would like me to interview. Thank you very much. IoT Innovation is a production of RCR TV. To reach Chris Hare or suggest a show topic for IoT Innovation, you can reach Chris at cbh at ntete.com. To find out more about IoT Innovation and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.